Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's the JT and Looney Podcast. Episode 85. A friend of JT's is a friend of mine, Pete Rose, has been a friend of JT's for almost 30 years. Good friends. Kind of cool to be friends with that guy. And kind of cool that he doesn't do a lot of media, but he will always hang with the JT and Looney podcast. And before we get to Pete, I need to remind you, with no snarkiness whatsoever, considering Pete Rose is the guest, that we are powered by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do it from the dugout. Head to their website, betonline.ag. And just for being friends with JT and Looney, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We welcome in the all time hit king. Thrilled to talk to. Pete Rose again. Hit King, how are you, my friend? How you doing, buddy? I'm sitting here trying to uh, get my get my thoughts together. The Reds are getting trounced today. <laughs> how does that feel for you? It's just a legendary Red when you want to take yourself out of it, but you lock into the game. That's your team. That's your city. Emotionally, when they're down in a game. Well, I think San Francisco is going to sweep them now. And, yeah. Uh, the Reds got off to a 6-1 and one start, and everybody – you know, if you if you'd been back to Cincinnati, you thought they were printing the World Series tickets, <laughs> and now they're going to be four games uh, under 500. Uh, and that, I'm going the game Sunday. They're playing Milwaukee, so uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, they got pretty good hitting, but all of a sudden they stopped hitting, and the bullpen just fell apart. And uh, uh, in today's baseball, as you know, uh, mm. if you don't have starters, it gets you in the seventh or eighth inning. You rely on the bullpen, and the teams that will have the best uh, seasons this year. I I always say our teams has got the the best little relief pitching. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a closer. Everybody's got starters. But as you know, you follow it. Most runs in baseball today, I think, are scored in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning of games because of lack of of uh, middle relief pitching. Absolutely. Some teams really invest in it. Other teams wait till after the trade deadline. Pete, speaking of Cincinnati, when you go back, what is your routine like? The fans love you. I know you have a routine. You like to get to the ballpark, batting practice. We've talked about this. What do you like? What's it like when you sit in your seat? Walk me through an experience when you go to a Reds game. Well, you, you'll find this hard to believe, Brick, but, um, you know, I was born three miles from the ballpark in Cincinnati, the ballpark being Crosby Field. Of course, now they're in Great American Ballpark at the riverfront. Uh, and they play on Pete Rose Way. That's, that's the name of the street that the ballpark's on. And I have never in my life, never been in the clubhouse or in the batting cage at the ballpark. Incredible. I'm not allowed in the clubhouse or I'm not allowed in the batting cage. And that's still Major League Baseball, since the Reds organization would love that. When I sit underneath in the diamond seats, I sit way back to the right where I can actually see the batting cage and all the players walk by where I'm sitting, but there's a glass. Uh, But I've never been able or allowed to go in the clubhouse or 
to help, try to help some young players become better players by helping them in the batting cage. Yeah, we talked that, about. Doesn't that seem strange? Yeah, it's it, it's it's ludicrous to me because again, we talked about time and how many years it's been, and I know the Reds and all these organizations would love to have you involved with all of this, and it's a big deal for me because I know how you can teach and help these young batters, especially seems like so many of them are struggling today to make contact. Yeah, well, you know, I've been on the field, uh, uh, Brick, and let me tell you why I was on the field. One time I was on the field because they retired my number. Another time I was on the field is because uh, uh, they had a statue. Okay, and another time I was on the field because I made the Reds Hall of Fame. So all three of those memories, uh, of course, were sellouts, and that's why I was allowed on the field. Uh, no, one other time, one other time they had Pete Rose bobblehead night, and they had uh, forty thousand people. I was allowed on the field that night. So I've been allowed on the field four times, but all four all four situations are great for me but they benefit the home team because of the crowd. Absolutely. And they, and a... they did the same thing for Bench. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing for Morgan. And they did the same thing for Perez. So the only thing we have left, if there's ever uh, an anniversary, and of course we already lost Joe Morgan. So the the anniversary, I don't know which one would be coming up for, <clears throat> from the 76 Reds. But uh, if we're all together, they'll probably have a celebration. I hope they would. You need to be back for that as much as you can. Pete Rose joins us. Pete, really a polarizing topic on Tony Larusa, critical of his player Mercedes swinging at the EFIS pitch with a big lead and tattooing a home run as they were leading 15 to four. Larusa went out of his way to be very critical of it. He knew Minnesota was going to throw at him the next day. I've been dying to ask you about this old school <laughs> purist to new school baseball as we're trying to get younger and more younger fans. Where do you stand on this topic? Well, if you're going to swing a 3-0 and pitch, I don't care what the score is. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm not I'm not going to badmouth the kid because, uh, because they bring a, a position player in the pitch. Yes. And if he strikes that kid out, He's going to be celebrating out on the mound. You know, I, I went through that my whole career. Let me tell you what I went through, and you'll understand this. I, because of the type of player I was, I had a any time we had a seven, eight, nine run lead late in the ball game, whether we're on the road or at home, I had to shut my offense down. As far as being aggressive, I couldn't hit a single and take two, stretching into a double. Yet all the guys who hit home runs are still up there swinging from their ass trying to hit home runs. You know, if you hit a home run and score 16 to 1, you're not going to get thrown at the next day. But if you hit a single and stretch it into a double, they're going to knock you on your butt the next day. I never did quite understand that. You know, here's my philosophy on that. If you don't like that situation, try to keep yourself out of that situation. <laughs> Okay, why do you why do you want to bring an outfielder in to pitch to this guy? What's he supposed to do? Go up there and take three strikes? Okay, and three zero. I don't care what it was. He shouldn't have got him three and zero. Don't get him three and zero if you don't want him swinging three and zero. Pete, because, I said the same thing. Pete, I said. 
I said the same thing, excuse me, because they brought in a position player. If they didn't bring in a position – and Tony, you you managed at the highest level and played at the highest level. Why did Tony, in your mind, as you were a manager, double down on this and criticize vocally his young player for doing this so much? It really sounded like he wanted to send a message, and he used the media, I thought, too much to do it. Yeah. Well, all Tony should do, okay, Uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, but – uh, Tony, Tony should find the kid for missing the sign. Evidently, he missed the take sign. Did Tony put the take sign on? Yeah. Okay, then then the kid should be fine for missing a sign. But you know, uh, it's it's like Tony's trying to uh, play old school where you can't swing the bat when you're more than eight or nine runs ahead. Hey, let me tell you something. One time we played the Dodgers at the Riverfront. And we scored 14 runs in the first inning. <laughs> we did. We scored 14 runs in the first inning of a ball game. We played in we played in Chicago one time, Phillies. We won 23 to 22. I'm not saying it's going to happen if the score is 16 to one or 16 to five, whatever. But there's no clock running in baseball with brick. There ain't no clock running. Sometimes, believe me, as a manager, as a player, you can't get that third out of the inning. You cannot get that third out of the inning. In other words, what I'm saying, you got you never got enough. The way the ball flies out of the ballpark today, the way the middle relief pitching is today, you never got enough. You never have enough. And you can't bring a position player in to pitch the game and get mad because the guy swung at a three and zero pitch. What the hell is the difference? It's three and zero or two and one. <laughs> Pete Rose joins us. Absolutely. Hey, Pete, we had Reggie on a couple of weeks ago. It was his birthday the other day. When Reggie would swing violently and the bat would come back and he'd drop it at home plate, a lot of people thought he was showboating there because of the violence of the swing and how quickly he put it down. Can you take me back to the 70s and 80s? Mike Schmidt. When Mike Schmidt hit home runs, I remember him putting his head down and not lifting his head going around the bases. What was the talk in your prime about guys who were showing up pitchers when they hit homers? Players know if you're showing them up, Jay, okay? And, like, I watched San Diego, and they got some good players in that team. I mean, if somebody hits a home run, they go go through a dance routine when he goes around (laughs) the bases. You know, can you imagine doing that if Bob Gibson was pitching? or if Tom Seaver was pitching, or Steve Carlton, they would get buried the next time up. Evidently, they don't do that today. So they let them show them up, and they don't retaliate. Believe me when I tell you, players players know how to police the area. Players know if the, the slide in the second was a dirty slide. Players know if you, if you attacked a catcher at home plate uh, that you were wrong. Okay? You don't need a manager telling you it was wrong or whatever. I don't I don't know what Tony LaRusso was trying to do. I mean, he's embarrassing his player. He's probably a young player, right? Yes. A yeah, great so, young player. Yeah, a great young player. And just make a point. What I used to do to my young players, JT, is whenever they made a mistake on the field, I would wait till they come off the field. I would work my way down in the dugout and get seated next to them. Then I'd explain to them why you don't do this. Okay, and hopefully they learn. I wouldn't yell at them in front of their peers. I'm not going to embarrass them by down there making gestures with my, my arms or my hands because a player did this or did that. You take time with young players, and, you know, you try to explain 
this is the right way, this is what you don't do. Because if not, they're going to get knocked on their butt the next time up. And most players who get knocked on their ass the next time up, they kind of get in the batter's box and expect it. If you screwed up, you expect it. Okay? Now they knock you on your butt, that's enough. You don't have to throw four pitches at them. You don't have to throw three pitches at them. You wake them up. If you want to knock them down, knock them down. And that's it. It's over with. Okay? But too many of these situations, they linger and they linger and they linger. Then you end up having an all an all-out brawl at home plate. Pete Rose is our guest. Check out what he's doing at youpicktrade.com. Hashtag and Pete we trust. There's no one alive on earth that knows more about baseball than Pete. Check out youpicktrade.com. Pete, Mike Trout got hurt again, and I grabbed my head and I said, no, six to eight weeks. This is a guy that can put up Mantle, Gehrig, Ruth, Rose, type numbers throughout his career. I just hate to see him. There's always yeah. a hand injury, a groin. When you saw the injury to Trout, what did you initially think? I couldn't believe him. He's on second base running the third. Uh, I don't know. It was just a weak muscle that just pulled on him, I guess. Yeah. But uh, Mike Trout's probably – well, him or Mookie Betts is probably the best player in baseball today. You agree with that or disagree yes. with it? I agree with that. Yeah, but the only problem I have with Mike Trout, he's a great player. I mean, he's going to the Hall of Fame already and he's only less than a 10-year player but uh you ever you ever enjoyed my shot the world series nope because he's never been in it i yeah, mean but when you, you're a good when you're a good player like mike trout or willie mays or hank hank aaron or virgil clemente or ernie banks whoever uh you try to lead your team to the promised land and the promised land is the world series and it's not mike trout's fault that anaheim don't go to the world series He's the last guy you played. However, he just, I don't know if he makes players around him better. Most really good players make all everybody around him better. You know, you know what I'm saying? And if you make okay. everybody around you better, you got a better chance of winning. Pete, I'm going to have to, Pete, Pete, I got to push back on that a little bit because of Ernie Banks and Ted Williams, two of the greatest yeah. of all time who didn't have that success in the World yeah. Series. Is that is that yeah. a fair analysis? Williams, uh, t- talk to me about the difference with Williams and going up against DiMaggio and not being able to win World Series. Well, Williams Williams couldn't win because of the dominance of the Yankees when he was playing. Yeah. I mean, the, the Yankee, Ernie Banks, I mean, you know, he had Santo on his team. He had Billy Williams on his team. He had Fergie Jenkins on his team. I'm surprised why they never got to the promised land. I really am because and it certainly wasn't Ernie's fault. It wasn't any of their faults, but you just have to figure out a way to make the players in front of you and the players behind you better at what you're trying to do. And that's what great players do. That's what great players do. And I'm not blaming Mike Trout not one bit for the lack of success of the California Angels. I blame I, I blame the owners and the general manager because they don't know how to put money into pitching. They put money into everyday players that when that got run down, you know, uh, uh, they, 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 they put the, they got up to, they went out and, get, and signed Pujols to a big contract, but they never win because they don't have the pitching. You don't win today, JT, unless you got good pitching. Okay. Pete, and, yeah. and, and the teams that are going to go to the playoffs in a world series are going to be teams that's got good middle relief pitching. What are middle relief pitchers? Their guys not good enough to start, and their guys not good enough to close. But they have to be on the staff. 
The teams with the best middle relief pitching are the ones we'll be watching on TV in October. Absolutely. You tell me that all the time. Wrapping it up with Pete Rose. Corey Kluber threw a 6-0 hitter last night. The Tigers the night before. What do you say of the critics who say, well, there's 6-0 hitters who are way ahead of the pace. How do you analyze this, especially with gaming and numbers, when you look at all these no hitters? How do you see it, Pete? It's all about the elevation of the bat. They're all swinging up. And when they make outs, they're making fly balls or pop-ups or home runs or strikeouts. I mean, the, 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 the average batting uh, average in baseball today, as you and I speak, uh, is 237. That's the average baseball player's salary, uh, average today, 237. That's every player in baseball. That's what their average uh, ends up being, if you do them all collectively, 237. That's a lot of bad hitters. But they're hitting yeah, home a... runs. They hit yeah. home runs. Okay. That's all they're worried about. Hit home runs and see how much money I can make. Now, I don't care if I strike out 150 times. If I hit 30 home runs, I'm going to make $15 million. That's the attitude that the owners yeah. have given these players. And that's, and, and that's why the launch angle is so important. You know, Hank Aaron never hit a tape major home run. He hit 755 of them. <laughs> You can hit line drive home runs, too, JT. Yes. They go out of the ballpark, too, especially these ballparks you're playing in today. Most of the ballparks, the new ballparks today, are what we call band boxes. So it's like playing inside your studio. <laughs> and you've been there. We're wrapping it up with Pete Rose. What do you think of Bob Baffert? Everybody accusing him after all these epic wins. Preakness before that, the Derby. I know you know that industry. You got a lot of friends in it. What do you think of how Baffert handled this with the media and not going to the Preakness now in the Belmont band? Well, it wasn't my fault. I mean, that's what he said. It wasn't his fault. It was his assistant. assistant's fault. But what's that, about the ninth time he's been uh, yeah. uh, accused of that? Uh, Bob Baffert's a good year. I like Bob, and he, he gets the best stock. That's why he wins. Mm. He's got the millionaires in his back pocket. Every year at the, at the uh, Keeneland sales, who comes up with the best horses? Whoever Bob Baffert's working for. Because those millionaires don't care. They put all the money in the world into these horses. When you can start you know, putting $2, 3000000 million into a horse, uh, you, you know the most – the most expensive horse ever bought at the Keeneland sales. What's that? His name, he, he cost 15 million and he never made it to the races. His name was green monkey. That was the number one horse at the auction. The most money ever taken in for one horse over 15 million green monkey never made it to the races. Incredible. Never knew that story. Pete Rose, How as we wrap like it up. put 15 million up <laughs> to buy a horse and you never get to see him run? That would hurt, but I would have really deep pockets. I'd probably be a prince in the Middle East, and I would just <laughs> redial and do it again. Hey, Pete, what do you like now with, with hockey? Man, the Golden Knights won a big one down 0-1 to tie it up to go to Minnesota, and then you watch oh, yeah, these okay. other hockey games, yeah. and you had LeBron yeah. James last night. You had LeBron versus Steph yeah. Curry. You're loving all this. Yeah. Yeah, when the, the Golden Knights scored 17 seconds after the other Minnesota took the lead mm-hmm. to go one to nothing, and they come right back and scored it, you could just see the momentum change. And plus, that was a home game. That was right down the street from where I live. The Golden Knights are good. They got yeah. a lot of players who can score, and, and they got a good attitude. And uh, the basketball, is, is, you know, it's fun to watch Curry. 
it's fun to watch, watch LeBron James. You know, it's, 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 it's the big guy underneath. Uh, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. I mean, he's like a, a he's like a, a man ab- among boys. I mean, we're we're at a good time right now because baseball's in full swing and hockey playoffs are going on. Basketball playoffs are getting ready to start. Uh, this is a fun time to be just a sports fan. I know you enjoy it, and I enjoy it too. Especially, it's hard to go out uh, because there's nothing going on, but you got your TV and you got all the sports that you can watch every night and go from there. Thank God for sports. How much fun you having with you pick trade? It's fun. Uh, me and my son sit down every night and uh, go over uh, who's playing good now, who's not, who's hurt, who's not, who's been pitching good, who's not pitching good. Those are all things going to handicap in a baseball game. And uh, there's so much going on. It's, it's, it takes a lot of work. You know, I got some of my favorite teams. San Diego's a good team. Yeah. Okay. Kansas City's playing good. You know, there's some teams that are surprises out there. And there's some teams like, like the Yankees. Uh, that kid, Kubler, he looked yeah. good last night. Man, he had a good breaking ball. He had a really good breaking ball. And I don't know I don't, I don't know why there's so many uh, no-hitters. I think it's because these guys are tra- all trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. and all, They're all over-swinging, and they're all swinging up. Hey, Pete, you nailed that. How about being in the sixth, seventh inning, knowing you're being no-hit, and trying to go the other way and get a base hit and break up the no-hitter. I know you want to win the game. You might want to hit a double or a home run, but what's it like when you're in the dugout and there's a no-hitter going on? It happened to you all the time, and you're going to get two more at-bats. Did you change your philosophy with those at-bats? No, I try to do the same thing every time I went up there. Let me tell you something, Brick. Who do you think broke up more no-hitters than anybody in the history of baseball? Pete Rose. Why? Because I let off and I got 4,000 hits. What's the difference if you get a hit the first time up or the fifth time up? It's still a hit. Wait a second. Are you no take, oh, are you, wait a second. Are you taking credit for breaking up no hitters in the first inning? Absolutely. Yeah. Lead off base. What's the difference if you get a hit in the first inning and the guy shuts the team down the rest of the game? You broke up the no hitter. What's the difference if you did the first time up or in the bottom of the ninth with two outs? You are the absolute, for, for as long as I've known you and all the one-liners you've had, I've never heard that one. You broke up the most no-hitters because you got the most hits, the most lead-off hits. Most hits in the first inning. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Rick, I hit a, I, 19, this trip, oh. 1963, I'm playing at, at uh, Polo Grounds against the Mets. Jay Hook's pitching, Jim Maloney's pitching for us. I hit the first pitch of the game. First pitch of the game for a home run, we won the game one to nothing. Maloney won his 20th. That happened. That was 63. It happened again the only time, 2013. A guy in America, I forgot who it was, hit the first pitch of the game for a home run. Every other pitch, every other out was insignificant. Think about that. First pitch of the game, <laughs> That was, the game was over. One pitch, one batter. I love it. You started history, and we're still talking about it today. You pick trade. That's the home. Find all about what Pete Rose is doing for advice. No one better in baseball, the great friend Pete Rose. Thanks, Head King. I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. We're just trying to help people make money, Jay, is all we're trying to do. You're right on the team with me, buddy. Floyd Money.
So Floyd Mayweather is going to fight Logan Paul in a circus scheduled for June 6th at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. You know, and people are complaining that it's another black guy for boxing. Such a tired, lame cliche. And that it makes boxing look like a circus or a sideshow. What else has boxing ever been? And in addition to a sport that you don't play, <laughs> you don't play boxing, and those guys in there are putting their lives on the line for our entertainment. But it's always been a circus act. Boxing has always been a circus act. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you've probably seen Butterbean fight back in the day, and it was so much fun in the 80s and 90s, and Butterbean was this big, fat monster that would knock out guys within seconds. And it was always a, a preliminary fight that you'd drink your Coronas and watch Butterbean fight while you were waiting for Tyson or Holyfield or Big George Foreman to fight. You get to see a little popcorn corona circus act with Butterbane. And there's been other great ones. If we could go back in the hot tub time machine to 1923, Dateline Shelby, Montana. Shelby, Montana was a growing mining town, oil town, banking town in the wild, wild west. And they wanted to bring publicity to their city of Shelby try to make it a metropolitan player. And how could they do that? You know, in the era of Babe Ruth. Well, we can't bring Babe Ruth here. He's a baseball player. But we can bring the popular heavyweight champion, Jack Dempsey. Everybody loved Jack Dempsey. Oh, did the whites love their Jack Dempsey? He could knock you out with either hand. He was one of the most famous sports heroes in the country at the time with a wink and a nod to Babe Ruth. It was Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey. Back in the day, the heavyweight champion was usually the most popular and famous guy in America. So Shelby Montana Banks got together with Shelby Montana Chamber of Commerce, and they said, let's try to bring a heavyweight championship fight to our city. So the fight got signed. Jack Dempsey and Tommy Gibbons and the fighters were worried about this city that they never heard of with big dreams. And so the fighters demanded on money up front and Shelby Montana banks gave it to the fighters. And you know, they also, because the fighters had a lot of worries because it took a week to get there by train. They weren't going to fly at the time. Flying was not safe in 1923. So the city built on farmland, built an arena that could fit 22,000 people an outdoor stadium, mostly made of wood. And guys were out there for days and weeks and months, pounding nails, building that arena that would bring Shelby, Montana into the spotlight of the world. So they built that 22,000-seat arena, and the fighters showed up on that night, July 24th, 1923. No, July 4th. 1923, yeah, they did it on, to make it a patriotic thing, they did it on July 4th. And nobody came. <laughs> there were about 6,000 people who paid for tickets in that 22,000 capacity arena that they built on farmland in Shelby. So they just let people in. 
People just stampeded in and watched for free as Jack Dempsey won a 15-round decision, and he and Tommy Gibbons got out of town. And the fight was an unmitigated disaster in terms of the banks. All four of the banks that pitched in failed. And Shelby, Montana, really never got mentioned again from 1923 until this podcast. <laughs> People couldn't get there. You know, Hollywood luminaries didn't know how the fuck to get to Shelby, Montana in 1923. You couldn't fly there. So... That is the story about the circus that happened in Shelby, Montana. George Foreman fought five guys one in one night uh, in Toronto. That was a huge circus. Uh, Muhammad Ali fought a wrestler named Antonio Inoki. And if you want to go back in the hot tub time machine all the way back to Jack, the Jack Johnson days, Jack Johnson was heavyweight champion between 1908 and 1916, and he fought a, a professional wrestler back in the day. Uh, up until the 1970s in boxing, it wasn't rare to have a celebrity referee. Not a real referee like Richard Steele or any of those guys. No, not a professional referee. Let's get it on! Nobody liked that with real credentials to be a referee. They would have like former heavy, the mayor of the town. I think the mayor of Shelby, Montana was actually the referee in that uh, Jack Dempsey fight that I was talking about and boring you with. But also, the long count fight in Lewiston, Maine in 1965 between Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. The second fight in Lewiston, Maine. The birthplace of... Uh the sideline reporter for Fox. Who's the sideline reporter for Fox with the nasally accent? Ernie Andrews. Ernie Andrews is from born and raised in Lewiston, Maine. That's why she talks like that. Anyway, 1965, Lewiston, Maine, and Muhammad Ali knocks out Sonny Liston in the punch, they say, couldn't have crushed a grape. And Jersey Joe Walcott was the celebrity referee in that fight, and he screwed it up. And Liston was down for like 18 seconds, but Jersey Joe Walcott got confused with Ali clowning and dancing around in the ring and demanding that Sonny Liston get up. Joe Lewis was a celebrity referee right in through the 70s, many times in Madison Square Garden. Boxing has always had a circus element to it. We don't have to go far that far back to remind you about Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, which was enormously successful. And Muhammad Ali, probably the greatest fighter of all time. Not probably. Bite my tongue. The greatest of all time. Muhammad Ali was a circus actor himself, and he stole his act from a guy named Gorgeous George, who was a professional wrestler. So the fight game has always had a circus element to it. And if anybody watched the smaller weights over the years in the 80s and 90s, it was Jorge Paez. Jorge Paez was a little bit of fella, a tiny Mexicano. Jorge Paez, who used to dress in crazy and who could fight. He was a tough guy, uh, but a clown. And Macho Camacho was a clown and a tough guy. Kick your ass. 
So there's been a lot of clowns in the rings over the years. Prince Nassim was a tough guy and a clown. Uh, Riddick Bowe, who you would probably never call a clown to his face, follows me on Twitter. Hi, Riddick. Uh, was a big clown. And he idolized Muhammad Ali and you know, worked some of Muhammad Ali into his act. And he was a guy that you would never call a clown to his face. But there's always been a circus act with clowns and freaks in the ring and behind the scenes, believe me, in boxing. Having been ringside at over 50 fights in Vegas over the years, with a wink and a nod to the palace in Dallas where I went to see Antonio Margarito and Manny Pacquiao fight. That was incredible. It was a beatdown of epic proportions. And I also was once at Madison Square Garden to watch Miguel Cotto fight Sergio Martinez. And that was uh, an outstanding experience. But 48 out of my 50 championship fights were in the great city of Las Vegas sitting ringside. It's a privilege to watch all these fights, but there were plenty of circus elements involved in any of the stories I have going to Vegas. And the, there's a circus atmosphere, period, that's always been around Floyd Mayweather based on, and he's not even trying to be a clown. When he's serious, uh, he's funny, and he doesn't even know it. He's the guy that I always say you always know when he's lying, when his lips are moving, which is an old, lame cliche. And you know I don't like old, lame cliches, but nothing, there's no lame cliche in the history of lame cliches that fits better than he's only lying when his lips are moving. That fits better with Floyd Mayweather than that cliche. I always know when he's lying. It's usually when his lips are moving. And I have never been a fan of the man. But we cannot argue with his talent. And he's made a fool out of me. For years and years, as I picked against Floyd Mayweather, because I always did a lot of sports talk radio with my heart. And I can't live life or talk into a microphone any other way. And because I didn't think Floyd Mayweather was rich in character, and I always thought of him as rather phony, that and he's got baggage and trauma from his childhood, which I, for which I have great empathy. And I bet I would like him in person despite these flaws, but it's my job as a bloviator into microphones to say how I feel or you're going to recognize any inauthenticity. So I've always tried to see the best in people and avoid anything too vicious in sports talk radio. But Floyd Mayweather... I always thought was a bit of a phony, especially with, you know, when your nickname is money, but you have money trouble. I always thought that was something worth talking about. There's an irony there. And so I would ask questions and he never liked me because I would ask questions about his money trouble and he hated it. You know, he wanted to be thought of as a rich guy. And if he was, if he owed back, back taxes, which he all, perpetually does, and he's having cars repossessed, which he perpetually does, those are facts, not gossip or rumors. You can Google that shit. Um, 
I would ask him questions about money. Oscar De La Hoya, when he was promoting him, part of the deal was Oscar would pay his taxes, back taxes, in order that the IRS wasn't sitting in the locker room after fights saying, where's the money? So that happened quite often, and that's why for quite a while, instead of fighting Manny Pacquiao, who wasn't represented by Golden Boy, that Floyd Mayweather was fighting De La Hoya's promoted fighters like Shane Mosley and other dull fights that we had, Victor Ortiz. It's because Oscar De La Hoya owned Floyd Mayweather because Oscar De La Hoya paid Floyd Mayweather's taxes. So Floyd was Oscar's employee for quite a long time. And if you pointed that stuff out, ah, are you in debt to Oscar De La Hoya? I once asked Floyd Mayweather because I already knew the answer. Like a good lawyer, I already knew the answer to the question before I asked it. And Floyd almost took my head off, and so did Al Heyman and other promoters ripping off credentials around my neck for asking a question to a guy whose nickname is Money. And I asked the guy whose nickname is Money a question about money. And I got in a lot of trouble. HBO was mad at me for asking Money a question about money. The promoters and Al Heyman, who's kind of a Machiavellian character behind the scenes in boxing, ripped the credentials off, off my neck tried to intimidate me for asking Money a question about money. That's when I knew I had the facts right. Uh, because, and that's, that's also the same day I realized newspapers were in big trouble. I had two sources, the USA Today and another boxing writer that I deeply respected. So I went with it and asked Floyd Mayweather the question about back taxes and Oscar paying his taxes. And he lost his mind. And... It was uh, I, my my source was in USA Today, but it let me know on that night about ten years ago that people <laughs> people weren't reading newspapers anymore. And thanks for listening to the JT and Looney podcast, all thirty-eight minutes and ten seconds, powered by Bet Online, your online sports book experts. And as they'd say in Fargo, oh, you betcha. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.